Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined in the star line by a photographer whose work is in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. We welcome Tony Salen Memorial Award winner, incredible photographer, our friend Bob Busser. I'm finally glad to be on your show. This is uh, this is going to be fun. I appreciate it. Bob, let's go beyond the mic. What was your first camera and where did you get your love of photography? My first camera, I was eight years old. It was at Dodger Stadium. It was one of those old brownie cameras that my mom had. I took two photos of the first baseball game I was ever at in 1967, black and white shots at Dodger Stadium. I guess that's where the love started, but it started before that because I was one of the transistor radio kids of the 60s which meant I would go to sleep listening to Vince Scully call Dodger games and describe all these places, you know, like Crosley Field, Ebbets Field, Fenway Park. And as a young kid, I, I thought to myself, I've got to see these places. And it just built after that. I took photography classes in high school and college, and I wasn't very good at first, like doing anything else, but eventually you get better and better and better. I made a career out of it. Uh, I was a commercial photographer for about 30 years and um, I've retired from that. And now I just do my ballparks and uh, stadium uh, photography as um, my retirement. And I love every minute of it. Bob, how was a graduation cross-country ride the perfect beginning to a storied career? <laughs> you have to understand my, my stepdad. Um, Bill was probably the smartest man I knew. He was a uh, an engineer for Rockwell and he helped get the shuttles in the air. So, I mean, this guy... He could, I saw some of the uh, calculus books and math books he took, and I couldn't even pronounce half the names. But anyway, Dad was not a sports fan at all. He just didn't have any use for it. So we're driving cross-country. We're going to these different places. My mom was from Massachusetts, and we were going back there for the bicentennial for my high school graduation. So the first one I remember photographing was a, a ballpark in Richmond, Virginia, that's no longer there called Parker Field. It's been replaced on the same site by the Diamond, where double-A teams play now. And then we made our way up to D.C., and uh, we stopped at RFK Stadium, got shots of the outside, and drove up to New England. You know, I was a real shy kid, but that brought out, you know, the, the need to open your mouth and talk to people to get your point across and get where you want to get. I distinctly remember it was July 11th, 1976. Mom and Dad and my cousins went to see the Queen of England in a bicentennial parade in downtown Boston. I ended up at Fenway Park, and I got the better of the deal. <laughs> Why'd you get the better of the deal? It's the Red Sox. I mean, I've been a Red Sox fan since I was a little kid. So having family in New England, it's drummed into you, even though I'm the only one in my family born in California. First ball game you ever went to was where, and how many games do you actually see in a year? First ballpark was Dodger Stadium. And that was 1967. And now I don't go to as many games because everything's on TV and the prices are just ridiculous because I like to take my wife. She's a big baseball fan. I probably in my heyday, I was probably 25, 30, 40 games a year. Dodgers and Angels and a road trip to San Diego or the Bay Area. So why were you a Red Sox fan rather than a Dodgers fan? Did anyone change you over? Well, I was a Dodgers fan as a kid because of Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't get any better than that. And like I said, my mom was from New England. All my relatives are from New England. Um, I have cousins all over back east and the Red Sox fans. And it's kind of drummed into you. And I, I always like Carl Yastrzemski. So um, the 67 season, you know, the dream, the impossible dream year, it just, it just uh, you know, multiplied from that. I saw the Red Sox every time they came to Anaheim. 
Now, what other jobs did you do other than photography? You weren't just a photographer all those years. I mean, what did you do until you were able to make money as a photographer? I worked in warehousing, courier service. I just had odd jobs. I worked at how I got my chops in photography was I worked for an apartment finder magazine in Southern California. And that taught me a lot. It was, I was all self-taught. I taught myself. It taught me to how to shoot on the run, so to speak, and low light situations and how to angle things. And and I learned a lot. It was grueling because I was the only guy to cover for this magazine that covered all of Southern California, all the way down to San Diego. So it, it was a lot of work. But I learned a lot. And it just you're always, as a photographer, you're always learning. I'm always learning. And now with digital, it makes it so much easier. Now we're on a Zoom call, so I can see behind you. And there's <laughs> got to be a great story from the seat that's sitting in your office behind you. You, you got it. Um, that's uh, from the Olympia in Detroit in 1984. Was it 19? I think it was 1985. I mean, the years are flying by now. I called the Detroit Red Wings on a whim. I mean, it just just to find out the status of the old Olympia. They were already in Joe Louis Arena. So the lady I talked to said, well, they're getting ready to tear it down if you want to come see it. So popped out the American Express card, and a week later, I was in Detroit. If you know anything about Detroit, uh, Grand River Avenue, where the Olympia was in McGraw, is not a good area. You can probably take the worst area in Lubbock, and it's Beverly Hills compared to that area. It was that bad. Somebody had pried the door open in the back, uh, the big rolling steel door. People were coming in and out, bringing chairs, bricks, signs, whatever. And I ran into this guy, Mike DeRosier. He struck up a conversation. He said, I told him I was from California, did a little bit of a spiel. I was taking photos of the Olympia. So he brings me in, and it's pitch black. We have flashlights. And we're wandering through this thing. And I'm having the time of my life. You know, I can see the ghosts of Gordy Howe, Sid Abel, all these guys. As I'm leaving that day, he uh, says, are you going to grab a seat? And I said, I really can't take it on the plane. He goes, I'll send you one. I'm like, okay, sure. Not not thinking. Two weeks later, the chair arrives at my front door with a brick and a note from Mike. As I'm leaving, this cop, I'm 6'5". This cop was about 6'6", 400 pounds. He's asking me questions. You know, what are you doing in here? And I told him honestly what was going on. He goes, I'll tell you one thing. Go in here all, during the day all you want. Don't go in there at night because we're not going in after you. It was a, a den for drug addicts and, uh, you know, low lifes and homeless people. And I thought, nah, I'm not coming here at night. No way. But that's the story of the Olympia chair. And it's been with me, what, 37 years now. Award-winning photographer Bob Busser joins us beyond the mic. Bob, how do you feel knowing that your photographs are in the Hall of Fame? I mean, it has to be an incredible moment when you get the call and they want to say, hey, Bob, we want your photos to be in Cooperstown. I mean, that's right there. To visit is one thing. But to know that there's a part of you that when you're gone, it's still going to be in the Hall got to be pretty damn good. It was because I got a call from um, Pat Kelly, who was the uh, photo archivist for the Hall of Fame for many, many years. She's now retired. I had given her, uh, I was w- went to the Hall of Fame on my honeymoon in 1995 because we went to New York and I asked my wife, Noreen, I said, what do you want to do on the honeymoon? We're going to go up to Niagara Falls. She goes, I want to go to Cooperstown. I'm like, good girl. <laughs> so it's October. It's beautiful. The leaves are changing. The weather is crisp. And we're walking through the Hall of Fame, and my wife says, there's the photo archive uh, department. Why don't you go in there and ask them? They'd like your stuff. And I thought, they're not going to want my stuff. It's just ballpark stuff. I walked in, talked to Pat. She said, send me your stuff. And I, get, I got a note from her like 
three weeks later, we love it. Send us all you have and we'll put it in our archives. So around 2007, I get a phone call from Pat. She goes, Bob, um, we're opening up a new exhibit that I knew about. It's called Sacred Grounds. It's all about ballparks and um, they've got uh, um, just uh, one of the pinwheels from Comiskey Park, the old exploding scoreboard, stuff like that. And she says, we want to hang some of your photos on display. And my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, oh, my God. I said, absolutely, whatever you need. And uh, they're in there. Uh, There's one at Camden Yards. There's uh, Ridley Field, uh, the Vet, the Astrodome. Jeff Idelson, the former president of the Hall of Fame, who's a good buddy of mine, told me one day, he said, Bob, you know, there's less photographers, accredited photographers with photos in the Hall of Fame than there are athletes. And I thought, wow, that is kind of cool. So that's something nobody can take away from me. And it's a big feather. It's a big honor to be included in the Baseball Hall of Fame, America's game. Your wife's a baseball fan? Ah, you're married right. Yes. (laughs) Big Padres. She's from San Diego, so she's a big Padres fan, although we won't talk about last night. (laughs) Bob Busser joins us beyond the mic, and it's time for the Rocking Aid. Eight random questions answered with the first thing that comes to your mind. Bob, there's no pressure. Favorite old school park? Fenway Park. Stadium you wish you'd gotten photos at, but never did. Connie Mack Stadium in Philadelphia. Why? There was something about that ballpark. When when you're a kid and you and you listen to Vin Scully call Dodger games from Philadelphia, he describes things like no one else can. I've you know, Vin is the best. By far, far and away, Vin is the GOAT. And uh he painted such a picture of Connie Mack Stadium. And then hearing stories about Bob Euchre, how he would sneak out the left field uh, gate and go to the tavern across the street and have a beer during the game in full uniform. It's like, I got to see this place. Of course, uh, when I was back there in 76, it was already torn down. There wasn't anything left. I really wish I could have seen that because um, it, it old ballparks and arenas, they tell a story. You know, um, it doesn't matter where it is. It could be uh, Potter County Stadium up in Amarillo. Somebody always has a soft spot for a ballpark. And that's one of the reasons I do what I do, because this brings great joy to a lot of people. I get, you know, emails all the time telling me, oh, thank you. You brought back happy times of my youth with my girlfriend, my wife, my dad, brothers, whatever, my buddies. And it it just it's I wish I could have seen a lot of the old ballparks. But unfortunately, uh, time and I was way too young to travel on my own. I couldn't do it. Best non-sports plays for photography. Any of the national parks, (laughs) or I have a series on my website called uh, the road to the left where I go on back roads and just take photos of nature and scenery. And that's, that's kind of a big release for me. It's very calming and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm up in the, uh, the uh, California Sierras and the Colorado Rockies a lot taking photos and, and you're always seeing something different. You know, you always, you all, it's, it's like the old adage, you know, you watch baseball long enough, you can see something different every day or, you know, once a year. And it's true with um, outdoor um, scenery photography. Bob, what's your favorite memory from Fullerton Union High School? Graduation day. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was not a good student in um there's a long, long story to that, but um, I could have done anything. I could have went to any college I wanted to. I just shut down. It was uh, family related. I don't want to get into that, but I guess my favorite memory from Fullerton uh, High School happened uh, this past October. They put me into the uh, Fullerton Union High School Hall of Fame, and we went down for the ceremony of the uh, homecoming football game. It was really surreal. My best friend Howard was there and uh, his wife, and, and it, it's uh, like I said, my little thank you. I said, it's come full circle, you know, starting out here and then 
ending up here in the Hall of Fame. It, it was really very surreal and very fun. What role in baseball should never have been or shall never, ever be messed with? Boy, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Uh, I, I, man, um, there's so many, I was thinking, you know, people don't understand the Bach rule, but it's there for a reason. You know, the pitcher cannot deceive the hitter or the runner. I don't think that should ever be changed. The one rule I could change a rule. I still think they should throw four balls to home plate instead of the automatic walk now, because, you know, I mean, there's pitchers out there that'll let it go. And next thing you know, it's at the backstop. You know, I think that should be. I don't think that rule should apply. I think they should still have the four four wide pitches to go to first instead of just pointing and going. If you had not gotten into photography, what career would you have liked to have gotten into? I honestly think I would have been an FM rock DJ. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, KMET in Los Angeles. I grew up with Jim Ladd and all those guys listening to, um, they turned me on to such great music that I never would have heard on any other station because they didn't play the, um, they're like Johnny Fever on WKRP. They didn't play the hits. They played what they wanted. It was awesome. What's your favorite album of all time? Uh, I can only pick one, right? Got to pick one. Damn. Uh, probably Led Zeppelin four. What's the one photo? There might've been a photo that you, that you, you could have taken, but you didn't take. And now you wish you had. Mm. Maybe the, um, wow. Maybe a still shot of uh, Pudge Fisk waving the ball fair uh, in game six of the 75 World Series. Because, you know, you see the, the, the thing where he's standing up and he's doing this. I wish I would have caught that on film. I, I saw it on TV, but, you know, I think that would have been a cool shot. Or Sandy Koufax after his perfect game. If you're enjoying these conversations, please check out another Beyond the Mic episode to find more actors, artists, and people you need to know. We'd also appreciate a like and subscribe. On the Good Pods app. He's in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame as a photographer. His photos are there. And it's time for the back half with our friend Bob Busser beyond the mic. Bob, you snuck into ballparks when you were younger. What was the toughest place to get into? Uh, You're not going to believe this, but the hardest place I've had a time getting into, and I finally got in before they tore it down, was the old International Amphitheater in Chicago. I went there probably half a dozen times when I was in Chicago, couldn't get in. Finally, is the baseball gods were on my side. They, they, I got in because I know the old Chicago Cougars of the WHA played there and the Bulls played there for a little bit. For lack of a better words, it was a dump. It was dirty, old, but it had character. All the old places have character. That was the hardest one to get in. You've got all sorts of great photos from all sorts of great sporting arenas. Why does baseball have such a better place in your heart? I think it's because... Um, I've watched the game since I was like five years old. I remember the 1965 World Series when Sandy Koufax won the last game in Minnesota. It's very relaxing. Pitch clock aside and all this other crap, there's no clock. You know, you're going to see something different every time. You know, it's not like football where I love football, don't get me wrong, where you know it's going to come down to normally it comes down to the last two minutes of a game. Baseball, you never know. Um, You could be down. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. My late buddy, Wes Spragans, was my best friend. We lost him a few years ago to cancer. But uh, he and I went to hundreds of Angel games together, and we were complete opposites. I was outgoing and obnoxious, and he was shy and quiet. And 
we were in an angel game in 1986. It was against Detroit. And it was like, I forgot what the score was 10 to two, something like that in the ninth inning. And it was a giveaway. So we're like, let's get the hell out of here. We left. And sure enough, the angels came back and won. <laughs> and he calls me the next day and he goes, this was before the internet and, and, you know, sports center and all that stuff. And he goes, can you believe we missed that? They scored like nine runs in the bottom of the 10th to win it. That, that was a tough pill to swallow. Well, you talked about losing your friend with cancer. How has your own fight with leukemia changed you? It's made me realize not to take things for granted and to tune out all the negativity and the nasty people in, in this world. The clickbait on uh, Twitter and things like that, I just don't do it anymore. It's made me realize there is people in my my immediate family, my wife and her sister and my nephew that, you know, absolutely love me and want the best for me. And uh, it, it, it opens your eyes. You know, it, when you first get the word that you have cancer, it stuns you. But luckily, I have uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And it's a um, it's a it's there's no cure, but it's very manageable. And as my uh, hematologist keeps telling me, he goes, you've got the garden variety and my levels are good. I just go in every six months and give blood. Just talk to my doctor and, and uh, you know, just keep doing what they want me to do. And, and I don't even honestly, I don't even think that I have it. It's not like uh, lung cancer or anything like that, but it is a form of cancer. And that C word scares the hell out of you when you hear it. Bob, you have plenty of photos, over 200,000 of them. What's your favorite piece of sports memorabilia that you own? Probably the Olympia chair. And how I got it. And just to know that it saw Gordy Howe and, and the wings when they were in their heyday that I, I don't collect baseball cards like I used to the old ads. My mom threw all my good cards away, which was, I don't even want to think about what it would have been today in today's value. What? But um, yeah, I, I, it's a, it, you hear it from a lot of people. My mom threw my cards away. Oh gosh. What was the best card your mom threw away? Uh, we've got, uh, what, oh geez. I had uh the early 60s, Willie Mays, Aaron Koufax, Drysdale, uh, Duke Snyder, all those, Mickey Mantle, all those cards from, you know, the, the glory days of baseball cards, you know, the 50s and 60s. I had all those things. Um, Nolan Ryan's rookie cards, Seaver's rookie card, all that stuff, all in the trash. Oh, I'm dying oh. right now. <laughs> Could you believe your house growing up in Fullerton is now worth over a million dollars? I know. Isn't it crazy? Back in 1973, my dad paid 55000 for that house. <laughs> I know. So, um, but I go by and see it every, when I'm in Fullerton. It brings back memories, you know, and uh, it, was, it was a good place to grow up. Bob, what was the best game you ever saw live? Game five, 1986, uh, Red Sox-Angels playoffs. I was there for the one bleeping strike game. That was the best game I've ever seen live because it was up and down and uh, my buddy Wes and I were there, and I, I blew off uh, my uh, godmother's son's wedding to go to the game. I mean, we do have priorities in life, right? <laughs> we're standing around. It's, you know, we're getting ready to run on the field. I congratulated Wes. He was going to get to go to his first World Series with the Angels. And then Dave Henderson happened, and you could hear a pin drop in Anaheim Stadium. After the game, we're walking out. The only thing Wes said to me on the way home was, it's over. And I looked at him, and I said, I know. And, of course, the Angels lost the next two games, and that was that. And the worst game has to be a certain game in 1986. So. I don't recall. <laughs> my memory is a little foggy about that. No, the Red Sox won the World Series in my eyes in 86 and in 75, you know. <laughs> Have you forgiven Bill Buckner yet? I, I didn't blame Buckner. It was uh, McNamara. 
Oh, he screwed that thing up more than anybody. Why? Well, he should have taken Buckner out. They put it, should have put Staples in at first or something like that, and they didn't do it. And it obviously the ball hit a dead spot and it rolled. But you know, it, it he didn't make the right pitching moves. He took Clemens out too quick, and it it, it just you could see it coming. You know, I lived through '67, '75, and I thought, oh god. And then 04 hit and everything changed, you know, when they when they beat the Cardinals. What would the baseball world be like if you could change one thing, a rule, a tradition, one thing that you could change better for baseball? Probably have the umpires be more accountable, like Angel Hernandez. I mean, I don't know how this guy is an ump. You, you watch the replays. He blows call after call. They're, they have to be more accountable. And I think you would see a lot less arguing. Uh, I like the fact that they have to announce now, you know, uh, the overturn on instant replay. You know, I, I like that. That That's a good thing. As far as a rule or something, wow. Um, I think that the game really shouldn't change. It should be the way it's been for 150 years. You don't need to tweak it with a large basis and all that stuff. The rules, you know, if you look at the rules, they're they're pretty spot on. They, there's, you know, hardly any rule changes you really need to make. They've had these rules for, you know, going over 100 years now, and it's worked. So probably having the umpires more accountable, you know, and having to answer questions and not hide in the clubhouse, you know, after a game. Even on umpires, Joe West has to be your best friend. No, Angel Hernandez. <laughs> Angel's still worse than Joe? Six of one, half dozen of another. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> he's the worst. But Joe West, it's a toss-up with Joe West, you know. But he's retired now, so that's a good thing. Bob Buster joins us beyond the mic. How did your upbringing change you? Has your love of the game changed? I will tell a little bit. I won't go into too much detail. I didn't follow the family protocol of working 40 years. I didn't, even as a little kid, I knew I didn't want that. There was, I, I just, there was other things I wanted to do. I had that creative artistic side, even though I wasn't very good with the camera, I knew what to do with it. And then of course you learn and you build on it. I was uh, verbally and mentally abused by my family, um, you know, name called the whole bit. And uh, up to this day, I, I haven't talked to my brothers in 10 years and it was the best thing I ever did because I'm uh, to them, I'm the black sheep of the family, but it taught me it made me harder. It made me stronger. And it made me want to succeed that, you know, there was times I would think, what the hell am I doing this for? You know, I did, I'm doing this on my own dime and why am I breaking my neck? And then as soon as I get into a ballpark, that all melts away. It's like, I'm home. I'm, you know, it could be, uh, you know, I saw one of the last games at the old Boston garden. I wouldn't trade that for anything, you know, because a lot of my friends say we envy what you do and where you've been. And I take that that's a compliment from my buddies who actually know me as a person. And, um, you know, my wife, um, we met talking over baseball and she's been my guiding light. She's my strength. You know, it just, you learn gets street smarts. I think is one of the best things people can have. And you learn to think on your feet. And one thing my mom did teach me was you need to open your mouth and talk to people. And that's the only way you get anywhere is by talking to people and say, hey, um, you know, can what doesn't matter what it is. You know, that's the key is talking to people and knowing who to talk to and how to get around getting into a place. That's where, you you know, that that all that helped. And and uh, I wouldn't change that for the world because it made me stronger. That brings up a story I want to hear. I have to hear the story about the baseball player. who You have the best relationship, a friendship over 45 years long. 
which all started over a conversation over a camera. Fergie Jenkins. I've known Ferg for, uh, we met in 77, so it's that. My math is not good. 45 years now. It was in Anaheim Stadium. I was at Fullerton College taking a photo class from Al DeVito. <laughs> and uh, Al DeVito told me, um, he said, there is no right or wrong photograph. Obviously, there is, you know, you've got focus and exposure and all that other stuff, lighting. But he says, it's what you see with your own two eyes. And I followed that to this day. That's ingrained in my mind. So I get this media pass, and it's, uh, it's a 7.30 game back then. And they're play- the Angels are playing the Red Sox. And uh, I get to Anaheim Stadium 3 o'clock, get my pass, and I've still got it. And I walk, I'm scared to death because I'm, I'm going to be on the field with the Boston Red Sox. You know, a year earlier, I saw them at Fenway Park for the first time. So I'm like a little kid in a candy store. Walking down onto the field, Fergie's the first one that comes up to me. He goes, hey, you're a camera guy. And we're talking. He goes, I like photography, too. He goes, come on, let me introduce you to these guys. Yes, this is Bob, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's introducing me to these guys. I, I'm meeting Don Drysdale, Yaz, Fisk, all these guys. So the game's getting ready to start, and Fergie goes, uh, why don't you sit in the dugout with us? I'm looking at him like, what? This was before the rule where you can't sit in the dugout. So he goes, uh, he's talking to George Scott and all these guys, and he says, sit at the end of the dugout. We're going to protect you. We don't want Popeye, Don Zimmer, to see you because he'll probably kick you out. (laughs) And I'm sitting in there, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm 18 years old. I'm thinking, no one's going to believe this. So about the fifth inning, Dwight Evans strikes out and he slams his bat into the bat rack and slams his helmet. It was a high fastball from Durwood, Maryland. He called it a strike. And I saw it. It was a ball. And he sits down next to me and he goes, that burns my bleeping ass. And I looked at him. I don't know why I said this. And this is the honest to God's truth. I looked at him. I said, Dewey will get him next time. Son of a bitch. If he doesn't hit a home run the next time. And he makes a beeline for me in the dugout and gives me a high five. Jim Rice is standing next to him. And uh, Jimmy goes, uh, you're going to be here tomorrow night. And I don't know why I said this again. It just popped out. Um, I have a big mouth. <laughs> it just came out. I said, I don't have tickets. And Jimmy goes, how many do you need? He got me tickets for 10 years. And I, in turn, had a blue Trans Am. And I drove him to the ballpark, you know, uh, from uh, the old Hyatt House in Anaheim. They would get me tickets for the ball game. It was a great trade-off. And a few years later, 1994, Dwight Evans was a hitting coach for the Rockies. So I'm in the Astrodome and the uh, Rockies are playing the Astros. And I hadn't seen Dewey in years. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, Dewey. And he turns around and he looks at me for a second. He goes, you had a blue trans ham in California, didn't you? Jeez. He's like, how the hell are you, man? So we talked. But getting back to Fergie, I've known Fergie's got me media passes when he's with the Cubs. Um, he's been in my house. I've been to his house. And yesterday, a buddy of mine, Jeff, who lives in Chicago, was at Covey Bears and Fergie was there because he was opening day. And uh, Jeff says, uh, hey, Fergie, and Fergie waves to him. Jeff goes, I know Bob Buster. He's a friend of mine. Fergie stops and starts talking to him. So they talk for like five minutes. Fergie, the last thing Fergie said, well, tell, tell Bobby I said hi. He's still the only one that calls me Bobby. But that's part of the being in the ballpark, uh, you know, being one of the guys, so to speak. Bob, what's the best story you haven't told anyone in years? I was in 85, 86 uh, at the Olympia. Bernie Carbo was a Red Sox folk hero, um, 75, the pinch hit home run. He, after he retired, he had a barbershop styling salon in, in Downriver, Detroit on, on Fort Street. And I found it and I walked in and sure enough, Bernie's in there and he's looking at me and I said, Bernie, I don't know if you remember me. He, he's, I think I do. I said, I had the blue Trans Am and he goes, oh yeah. So 
he, we're talking and he goes, I'll give you a haircut. And I, I said, okay. So I, I guess I can say my claim to fame is a major leaguer gave me a, a, a haircut, so to speak. And he had the bat that he hit the, the home run with in his shop. And of course he told me the story that he was high as a kite when he hit that. He said he was floating around the bases because he didn't think he was going to get in the game and he was, you know, smoking weed or, or doing something and in uh, down the tunnel. That's kind of like one of those, right place at the right time moments. And there, there's been a ton of them. You know, I, I've just been, I've been blessed. I, I'm a lucky guy who has seen a lot. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And can I tell one more quick story? Sure. We were in Las Vegas. Uh, Fergie was doing an autograph show and um, he, he called me and we came up to see him and his wife. And my wife's playing blackjack with Fergie. She's having the time of her life. And uh, Fergie's uh, late wife was at the bar with me and we're playing video poker. And the next morning, Fergie's like, ah, meet us down in the coffee shop. We're going to have breakfast. So I meet him down there. And sitting alone by himself, Fergie and I are talking and our wives are talking. And sitting right two tables over is Gordy Howe. Fergie goes, Gordy, get your ass over here. And my eyes got this big. And Gordy sits down next to me and he starts spinning stories. Him and Fergie spinning stories. Gordy's giving me the elbows and the ribs, you know, and I'm having the time of my life. I'm thinking, this can't get any better. And we just had the time of our lives talking. It was a lot of fun. Before you leave this earth, what's the one last thing you want to shoot? It might be, you know, I've seen stuff on this. It might be the Northern Lights up in Alaska. I think that would be a photographer's dream. You know, I know people have taken pictures of it. I've never been to Alaska. It's the only state I haven't been to. But I think that would be a lot of fun. Cold as hell, but it'd be a lot of fun. Ballpark and stadium-wise... I usually get to those, so that's really not something I don't think I, I could uh, not do, I guess. But something like that, uh, you know, the uh, the Northern Lights, I think that would be spectacular. It's time for one big question with Bob Busser, photographer beyond the mic. Bob, what's the one thing younger photographers should do that they don't teach in school about photography right now? Learn with a film camera. Don't use digital. Learn how to get your meter readings, get your settings right, learn the old-fashioned way like we all did. You know, the photos are great. Uh, digital, obviously, they're much more sharper and clearer, but you will learn so much. I learned. That's how I learned. And you learn, and you learn how to think on your feet shooting film as well as digital. Because digital, honestly, makes it really easier. But film teaches you the nuances of what you need to do, like in low-light situations, you know, how to shoot faster. If you're shooting sports, you can't shoot at a, a, a slow speed, you've got to use grainier film. You, you just learn everything about a camera. I would, I think kids should learn on a regular film, you know, your dad's or grandfather's old Canon AE1 or whatever. That's the way you should learn. So what's your daily camera? Nikon uh, D810, soon to be a D850. Ooh, so what's <laughs> your best glass? Oh, probably, uh, I've got the holy trinity of Nikon lenses, um, uh, the 70 to 200. It, it does it all, you know, especially if you're shooting in a stadium or my wide angle. Um, I've got a wide angle that I use too for, you know, you see the panoramic shots, but the 70 to 200 pretty much does it. It's pretty much the go-to lens for all photographers. You see them on the field and that's one of the cameras. That's what they got strapped to one of their cameras. Everybody's got that lens. It's a, it's a workhorse. Who's the best player you've ever seen in person? Hmm. I'm going to take Barry Bonds out because he's just such an ass and he cheated. I probably have to say King Griffey Jr. I've seen Jr. play a lot. 
And he just had that natural Willie Mays ability. You know, he glided to the ball and he looked like he was having fun. And that's what Willie did when he was, I, I saw Willie Mays at the tail end of his career and I never saw, I only saw him on TV. It was harder to get to Dodger Stadium when you're a little kid, you know, nobody wants to trek up to LA. I didn't see Willie at all, but I saw him on TV, but I, I would probably have to say junior and the best pitcher I ever saw. This is, you know, people are going to say, oh, Tom Seaver. No, I would say, believe it or not, Nolan Ryan. He threw so hard and when he was on, it was over. I mean, he was that good. If he, he you, you got to remember, Nolan Ryan played for a lot of shitty teams. You know, he won a World Series, obviously, with the Mets. The Angels were not that good until his last few years. The Astros were not good, and the Rangers were horrible. You know, if he would have pitched for the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Reds or, or any of the big teams in the, you know, 70s, he would have won 400 games easily. You know, I mean, he – he could dominate the game. You knew if he was on by the first two or three pitches. If you heard him grunting, you were in trouble, and he could grunt really loud. If you could handpick it, who would be the best commissioner for the benefit of baseball? Bob Costas, because he has a love of the game. He understands the game. He's probably baseball's biggest fan. You know, and his deputy, I'm, I, um, if he has a deputy commissioner, um, geez, I don't know who that would be. Um, maybe Peter Gammons, because Gambo gets the game too, or Cam Rosenthal. Any of those guys, they get it, they understand it. Those got those two guys if for writers, they're not they don't keep dreaming this shit up, you know. All these, you know, trade deadlines are uh most writers' dreams because they could they could dream up anything they want and print it and nobody's going to challenge it. Oh, I heard a rumor that so-and-so is getting traded for this. And it's so far from the truth. It's, you know, it's almost like a, you know, a Jersey shore reality show sometimes. Bob, where can people find your work? Ballparks.smugmugsmug.com. And you can find me on Facebook, uh, Bob Busser. I'm there for, I'm living in Fairfield, California. If there's ballpark enthusiasts, I have a Facebook ballpark page. Just message me. Send me an email at bobbusser at gmail, and uh, I'll get you on there. And uh, I tell stories and post once a day, and other people contribute. And we have uh, – that was – I was going to start that just as – my wife got me to do that. And I thought, nobody – she says, you need to do something like this. I said, nobody's going to care. <laughs> Shows you what I know. I uh, started about three or four years ago, and I have 6,000 members now. And if I don't post once a day, they get mad at me. So it kind of it kind of works for itself. He loves Led Zeppelin for – has a 45-year friendship with Fergie Jenkins and believes the DH should be abolished from baseball. You've been talking to my sister, haven't you? <laughs> she hates the DH. Well, I had to do a little research. We thank baseball photographer and historian Bob Busser for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.